Hello, 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 beautiful people. Good evening and welcome back to our podcast. If you're a first time listener, welcome, welcome. And uh, if you've been following along, just welcome back. Thank you guys for joining me this beautiful evening. It's a Sunday evening and um, it's the weather is perfect here. Um, so today I want to delve into a really interesting topic that has been in my mind for uh, quite a while. Um, So today we're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about walking with God and how we ought to hear from God. Um, If you haven't listened to any of them, please do go back and listen. Uh, I'm pretty sure you will like it. I hope you like it. (laughs) All right. So now the temptations of Jesus. Today, I want us to kind of revisit the story again because it's one of a, you know, it's a very famous story if you... If you are familiar with your Bible, even as a kid, you probably have heard the story that Satan actually tempted Jesus. So we are going to take a look at um, Jesus' temptation today. Um, And the reason why I'm actually taking a look at this today is because it's played on my mind for quite a while. It's played on my mind several, you know, multiple times. Um, If you you look at most of the times when you, you hear the story, most of us can actually recite it off, off heart. We know the whole thing. We know that Satan came to him and said, you know, if you're hungry, if you, you know, after he had fasted for 40 days, you're, you know, if you, you can just turn a stone into bread, you know. Uh, and then the other one was, you know, if you're really the son of God, cast yourself down for God will give his angels charge over you. And then the final one was, I think, um, uh, if, you know, look at all this kingdom. If you bow down and worship me, I will, I will give you all of it, you know. And, and that was the one that even kind of I, I thought was really lame. But here, here's, here's where we'll start. I, I think that we'll start with um, the first time that this whole idea of Jesus' temptation having more to it came to my mind was a few years ago. Uh, so I'll tell you a quick story. Um, a couple of years ago, I had visited a friend's church. It was a Wednesday Bible study. And the preacher was actually talking about Jesus' temptation. He was talking about how Jesus had... Um, responded during his temptation, and he was just kind of given lessons or lessons to learn from 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 Jesus's encounter with Satan in the wilderness. And I remember after leaving that meeting, thinking to myself that there's got to be more to his more to his temptation, right? There's got to be more to Jesus's temptation than meets the eye. I mean, it's written in all three synoptic gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke. I think John is the only one who doesn't actually. Uh, uh, write it down but the story even though it's all too familiar I couldn't just shake off this nagging feeling that there's definitely more than meets the eye to the story now um, I remember also a about a year ago so maybe a little less than a year I was watching drive through history with uh, Dave Stotts if you haven't watched it just it's a really great show. Uh, Dave Stott talks about a lot of historical um, things, and he visits the land. I absolutely love him. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, if you, on, it, it shows on TBN. So if you, you know, if you haven't seen it, just try and see it. Drive through history with Dave Stott. So on one of the episodes, he kind of shed some light on, uh, in a way that I hadn't heard from anywhere or thought about before. He said that each temptation represented the three sins of life. The loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, and the pride of life. 
I think he he put it like this. He said that the um, where Jesus talks about, um, you know, when Satan says uh, turn the stone into bread, that's the loss of the flesh. Uh, when Satan says throw yourself down and 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 you know and he will give his angels charge over you, that's the the pride of life, and it had to do with ego. And then when he said he, sh- he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, he said, you know, bow before me. He said that's the lost of the eyes, the things that you can see. I think he got his insight from perhaps writings of the early church fathers. I'm not sure, but um, I remember thinking, interesting, you know, I never really tied it that way. But even after this, I kept thinking there was definitely more, you know, there's still definitely more to the story. So today I want to visit the origins of Jesus' response um, just so I, we can get an understanding of his understanding, right? I want to get Jesus' understanding of uh, how he understood Satan's temptation. And because after all, you can only give an answer in a way that, in the same way that you thought of the question. Let me, let me put it in a better way. If you come and you ask me, what's the time, right? I will I will understand or I will have based on the understanding that I have that you are asking me for what is the time on the clock? I would say maybe 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m. or 10 a.m. depending on what time of day is. If someone might have a different understanding, say what time when you ask what time do you say, oh, it's time for lunch. (laughs) Um, But my understanding of your question is what will give me um, an answer for you. Right. So I want to understand Jesus's understanding of what Satan is doing so we can get an understanding of why he gave the responses he gave. All right. So now every time Jesus answers, Jesus answers Satan, he answers with scripture. Right. So we are going to visit those scriptures where he gives his answer from. Right. The first one, um, Jesus answered with scripture saying, man shall not live by bread alone. Now. Where does this come from? This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, so we'll visit Deuteronomy chapter 8 and read it real quick. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8 from um, verse 3. But for the sake of this, I want us to actually read from uh, verse 1 so we can actually understand the context where Jesus is quoting for. Um, So Deuteronomy chapter 8 from verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors, your fathers, had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right. So this story follows a time when they're in the wilderness and God is feeding them with manna. If you remember the story very well, remember that the children of Israel were constantly grumbling and saying, oh, we wish we had the meat that we had in Egypt. We had fish, we had meat, whatever. They forgot the lashes that they also got, right? 
Now, if you look at Jesus' response, it means that he kind of understood his isolation in the wilderness as God's doing, just like when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness for 40 years. His understanding is that he's in that same spot with them. He's in that same space as they were. The Hebrews were tempted to go back to Egypt almost just every step of the way. And here is Satan testing Jesus and tempting him to rely on his own strength, on his own ability, right? He's telling him, you know, you can do it. Turn this stone into bread. I mean, for, for some of us, for modern day, you know, Christians, if, if you can turn stone into bread, it's a miracle. Oh my God. That is so great. He is a man of God. He can turn stone into bread. Wow. You know, but listen how Jesus humbles himself in this situation. I've soon come to realize, I mean, in the past, I, I usually thought it was about, you know, his power, you know, Jesus using his power for self gain. I thought that was simply what is, you know, the temptation was about, about Jesus just using his power for his own self gain. I mean, he was hungry. So, you know, if you've been, if you haven't eaten for 40 days, I mean, you are at your weakest point at that point. Jesus was at his weakest point. So should he use his power for self gain? No, he didn't. I've come to realize it was about making provisions for himself rather than depending on God's sustenance. So it wasn't so much as the power that he had. It was just the fact that he was, you know, willing to be in a spot where he didn't make any provisions at all for himself. But he was dependent, you know, like the way a baby is completely dependent on their mother's milk. Like if the mother doesn't breastfeed them, they would be helpless. He's taking himself to that state. Now, depending on God for every sustenance is a humbling experience. And this is why Moses says in uh, verse two of this Deuteronomy chapter eight, that he humbled thee. And tried thee to know what was in your heart. To know whether you will follow his commandments. Now, how can you follow his commandments if you don't hear what he says, right? You got to be willing to wait and hear what he says so you can do what he says. And that's what waiting for him for your every sustenance means. I mean, if I, if I was hungry, if I had been fasting for 40 days, at the end of 40 days, I would probably be so famished that I would, I, I wouldn't be trying to turn the stone into bread. The stone wouldn't be my temptation. It would be my credit card. Like, uh, where's my credit card? I, I, I got called McDonald's. I got to order something real quick. Where's the nearest Chinese restaurant? I got to order something real quick. But no, being at the wickest point and waiting to hear what God wants you to do even at the point where you'll ask your last breath. Now that's truly humbling. That's being in the helpless place. And how many of us can actually let ourselves get there? All right. Now let's go to the second uh, response that Jesus gives. Uh, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this response comes from Deuteronomy chapter six from verse uh, 16. So let's go there. We'll read it real quick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start from verse 15. So we have a little bit of context. <clears throat> um, 
For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and he, his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is what Jesus says. But the whole script, the whole pat, the whole, um, the whole verse says, "Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah." Right. So now the the this actual chapter follows. You know, it's the story goes on with Moses. You know, admonishing the people of of Israel. Uh, not to follow the gods of the nations that they were going to encounter going forward. He's asking them and telling them vehemently not to test the Lord as they did in Massah. Now, what, what happened in Massah? Okay. If you want to know what happened in Massah, you, we got to go back to Exodus chapter 17 uh, from verse 7. Okay. And we're going to read it really quick. Just FYI, I'm reading, I'm using the NIV. You can read it in a different uh, version if you want. Um, okay. So, and... Uh, verse 17, it says, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now you can imagine these people, they had seen God send the 10 plagues. They had seen God pat the Red Sea. They had seen God provide manna from heaven. They had seen him bring quail. And still at this point, they kept wondering, is the Lord with us or not? I mean, how many times do you have to see God's work in your life to be able to believe that God is with you all the time, that he never left you, that if he says, I'm with you, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you, he has zero plans of going anywhere, right? So why were they keep, Why do they keep saying, is the Lord with us or is he not, right? Here, Moses kind of equated their quarreling and striving with him to testing God he's because they were literally they, they were quarreling with Moses they weren't directly they were, they were saying is the Lord they were quarreling with him and saying the Lord with us or not we want water we want water in this place but he's equating their quarreling and their grumbling with him he's equating that to testing God here we see that Satan had asked Jesus to throw himself down right when Jesus gives this answer um, of don't test the Lord your God, we see that Satan had asked Jesus to throw himself down because it is written, he would give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a rock, right? But even though he's quoting scripture, you know, I, I think I remember telling a friend once that it looks like... <laughs> Satan calls scripture. He he has no, he, he knows you know scripture and he knows scripture as well. So, you know, he's not going to come test you with something that he doesn't think you know. He's going to test you with what the word that you know, right? So he's using one scripture to test Jesus and saying, you know, test if God, your God is still here, right? This, this temptation is about believing God's word, basically. After all, we, we just, as I mentioned, after all Israel had seen God do, they literally had no reason to quarrel with Moses. All they had to do was just believe that the God who was with them would actually provide the water that they needed, right? So they didn't really have to quarrel with Moses and say, is God with us or not? Give, just give us water. Did you bring us here 
to kill us. Right? And Satan is actually asking Jesus in this temptation to test the word of God that he knew. You know, I I think about every time we talk about testing God's word, uh, one thing I heard a couple of people say was, um, is the book in, in Malachi where God said, test me in this thing and see if I will not open the God, um, the windows of heaven and pour down blessings for you. And you see people coming before God with offering to say, I did what you said. It's now time for you to do your own part. Can you, it's like a quid pro quo. Now that's not a relationship, is it? Where if I, if you have to test me to give me something, that's not truly a relationship, is it? Right. So here, I believe that Satan was, you know, he was given a soft leer. It was like a little, like, you know, a, a soft urge or poke towards, you know, disbelieving God's word. And perhaps even, you know, disbelieving the prophecy about himself being the, the Messiah, the Mashiach, right? It's just a test of disbelieving God's word. That is the, that's the whole that's what I, 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 I grasp from, from that temptation. Now, we'll move on to the third temptation, which is uh, where Jesus actually... And this is, to be honest, I feel like this is the weakest of all the temptations. This is the one where it is, come on. I mean, why? Why would you tell him to, you you know, bow before you? You already know he's not going to do that. So why, why does he do that? Why does he say that? Now, he says, if you bow down and you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms. And Jesus responds with, get behind me, Satan, for you are to worship no one but the Lord your God. Again, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? And the reason why I feel like this is the weakest of all the temptations is because we all know Jesus was a Jew, right? He grew up Jewish. He probably grew up in what's more like an Orthodox uh, household, you know, uh, because the Bible does say that every year his parents took him to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Only an Orthodox will do that, right? Um, and when he was given, they gave the, the you know, the sacrifices that, you know, after his birth and they, they did a dedication to all that. Mostly Orthodox will do that. So, and again, another verse you read that, you know, as was his tradition, he went to the synagogue on the Shabbat. Most of the time, a circular Jew wouldn't do that, right? So let's try and understand Jesus' context. Now, what does that mean? An Orthodox, even not just an Orthodox Jew, um, even a regular Jew would know Shema. Like Shema Yeshaya, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, Yerushayel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God is one everyone knew that they started it from the child from their childhood at the age of 12 he would have been able to recite that so then why would satan come to him and say bow before me and i'll give you all the kinsmen of the world that that's why i feel like that's the weakest but hey jesus responds with the very verse which he he you know he would have been used to quoting all of his life and remember the 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 Lord, I think I don't think he was a lawyer. He probably was a lawyer. He came to Jesus and said, "Which is the greatest commandment of all of them?" And Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength." Again, this is part of the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six. So he's definitely quoting the the highest of all the commandments, the the first number one commandment to love the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, so. I've said a lot of things, but what I want to bring it down to is that this 
temptation. I know I talked about Daystarts and how Daystarts talked about, you know, uh, the temptation being three different sins. And even my friend's uh, pastor from years ago, he tied almost, you know, the same three things. My conclusion is that this temptation wasn't simply about the loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, or the pride of life. Because this doesn't really fit into Jesus's lifestyle. Remember, only someone who was... Um, who was willing to take their spirituality to the next level would be willing to fast 40 days and 40 nights. Most people don't do that. Most people will fast for like a week. They'll do two weeks, three weeks maximum. But 40 days, not a lot of people are willing to do that. So it's not about the loss of the eyes for Jesus because he wasn't tempted by what he sees with his eyes. That's one of the prophecies that, that that's about the Mashiach. He shall not judge by what he sees or what he hears. He's not tempted by the loss of the flesh because of the fact that he wasn't, um, he wasn't in a space where he uh, literally would, you know, if you go into fasting for 40 days, you're not depending on your flesh. You're willing to go above and beyond. And it wasn't a pride of life because he knows where he comes from. So none of these were, none of these three explanations, they are good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. They are good. They're definitely really great explanations. But I don't think that the um, the three temptations were about these. They would be that for a regular person, like maybe me and you who are just starting in our faith, who are just early Christians. But for him, for the purpose of who he is, this isn't what the temptation is about. I truly believe that it was about one leaning on God for every sustenance, not leaning on our own abilities, leaning on God for literally every sustenance. Because Jesus' response came from Deuteronomy where he says, and the Lord humbled you and fed you that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What does that mean? Learning to depend on God completely for every single sustenance is a humbling process. We have to be willing to be humbled. We have to be willing to come before God with a humble spirit, with a humble heart. What does David say in his psalm? He said, Lord, give me a contrite spirit. Give me a humble heart. So it's not about the loss of the flesh or the loss of the eyes. It's about learning to lean on God for every single sustenance. That's number one. Number two, Trusting God's word and leaving zero room for doubt. Like, zero room for doubt. Trusting God's word to the uttermost. Jesus says, if you have faith, even as little as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be removed from here and be cast into the ocean. Now, that's a level of faith. That's a level of belief in God's word and God's power that is beyond what most of us everyday people can do. Number three, I think it's about not being distracted from the outside. The world and all that it's got to offer, the deception of wealth. If you think about Jesus's parable of the sower who went sowing and the seeds fell on, you know, diverse soil, one of the, the soils was that it fell in the midst of thorns and the thorns, uh, when he grew, the thorns choked it. And when Jesus is giving the explanation of this to his disciples, he says, 
um, those who fall in thorns, the, the, the wealth, wealth and the deception of wealth and the things of life, they choke the word and the word doesn't bear much fruit. Being distracted from the outside in is the third lesson to learn from this. So I'm going to recap. One, learning to lean on God for every single sustenance and not leaving, not leaning on our own abilities. Two, trusting God's words and leaving zero room for doubt. Three, not being distracted from the outside in. Learn to be on pace with God. Learn to listen. Learn to be able to not get distracted. Now, one thing I want to uh, chip in here is that coming to an end of ourselves is where our humbling process usually begins, right? Um, learning to come to the end of where we can sustain ourselves. If you think about what I said earlier on about the baby um, needing the mother's milk and just being completely dependent on the mother's milk, this is this is a, a, a situation that most of us can never really put ourselves in, right? Um, we, we have the tendency to always want to fix things on our own. I heard one preacher say that do what you know and God will do the, do the rest, do what you know to do and God will do the rest. But what if you don't know what to do, right? What if you think you know what to do? How do you begin to know, make sure that you do only what God says you should do? Okay. God's word is all that we have. It's not really our possessions in this world that we have. If we, if you think about the parable of the kingdom being like a man who found a treasure uh, in a field and he went, he hid the treasure and he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. Think about that uh, parable carefully and ask yourself how, how much does the treasure cost him, right? Because the parable of the kingdom is like the treasure, the treasure that he found in the field. But then he hid it back and then he went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. How much did the treasure cost, cost him? The treasure was actually free. It's the field that cost him all that he had. He had to go and buy the field. Now, he could have easily taken the treasure and walked away from the field. I, I think I asked my daughter that question a while ago. But he hid it back where he found it. And then he bought the field because the field is where the treasure is. So where's your field? Where are you spending the most time? Where are you learning to um, glean what you, you need to glean from God? Well, I hope you enjoyed today's topic. Um, I know I've talked a lot, but I hope you enjoyed today's topic. So spend some time thinking about this parable again. Think about Jesus' temptation again. Uh, and what does it say to you? What do you feel like um, the Spirit says about these temptations did jesus just you know have an opportunity to fight against the loss of the eyes the loss of the flesh is that really what he was fighting about or was he doing something else was he more you know delving deeper into the into the spirit okay i hope you enjoy this again um i hope we can get to talk more next time i love these Heart to hearts, they're really interesting. Until next time, I hope you have a beautiful evening, a beautiful week, a beautiful day, wherever you are. And we will see you again.
יושב סופר ימיו, צעקות בושה בכל העיר. דור רוצה תשובה עכשיו, זכאי ולא 